Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is Monday, July 5th, 2021. So as we've been doing lately, let's just link business with the group, projecting a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, taking a moment of silence, followed by the sounding of a mantra. We know, O oh Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. So our work together today and every week is to welcome new people to the Triangles Network and to encourage them to consider forming a triangle and also to create our platform for those of us who are already members of Triangles to come together each week and participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the planetary network. Triangles is a simple visualization technique using the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. Three people agree to vivify their triangular link every day, visualizing a triangle of lighted energy circulating between the three of them, working together mentally, spiritually, and in a spirit of goodwill to all humanity. And then after achieving that alignment with your partners, you link up with the entire network of, tri of triangles throughout the world, circulating these energies and using as a vehicle to do so the great invocation, a world prayer. And so it's a simple technique. It only takes a few minutes each day and it can be fit into even the busiest of schedules. And after um, our visualization today, we're going to have a sharing by Maria Christina Amaral with some thoughts on the great invocation prior to our meditation. And Maria Christina is from Brazil and she's worked for many years with small groups uh, to basically focus on meditation and the subjective life. So we're really privileged to have her sharing before the meditation. And then after the meditation, we'll have Rose Bates, who will be discussing the first recitation of the Great Invocation in 1945. And Rose Bates has had a lifelong interest in the Ageist Wisdom teachings, since a young girl, in fact, um, with a particular interest in the history of the esoteric work during the time of Alice Bailey. So she'll be sharing uh, a a brief video with us and then we'll be opening it up for discussion. So let's now work together, linking together as a group, visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted energy.
And within that sphere, let's visualize a triangle composed of the three primary planetary centers, Shambhala, the planetary head center, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize the energy circulating in all directions and filling the triangle with light. Now at the center of that triangle, let's visualize a five-pointed star, the star of the world teacher linking east and west, past and present, radiating the inflow. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo. Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Radiance, we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need we reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness 
in today. Thank you, everyone. Welcome, Maria Christina. Thank you, Kathy. I will share some thoughts on the great invocation. Throughout the ages, during all times, there were always great and more evolved beings who have guided humanity and have conducted throughout all its stage of evolution. These guides, known under several names, are called elders, wise saints, or teachers. They are the true inner guardian of humanity, the ones who since the beginning of times have indicated and pointed out the way for human evolution. All these great sages have once been humans and have gone through the same experience as we all humans do. Now, they are already released from human limitations and are walking ahead of us, pointing out the way that leads humanity to fulfillment and liberation. At the beginning of every new cycle, of every new age and at each new stage of evolution, these guides have given out prayers or affirmation that contains the keynote, the lessons or the objective of the next stage. One example in the West is that the lesson or the keynote of the age of Aries is contained in the Psalm 23, found in the biblical books called the Old Testament. The guide was Moses. The age of Aries ended 2000 years ago and a new age started bringing a new lesson and a new keynote. Contained, this keynote is contained at the Lord's Prayer. This prayer was given at the beginning of the Piscean Age, and so it was new and was given by the initiate of that age, the elder known as Jesus. The resisting of this prayer can also be found in the biblical books called the New Testament. Since then, the prayer of the Age of Pisces has been known and has been used by all Christian religions that characterize the Western civilization. Now, after the human kingdom has evidenced that has reached a more advanced level of mental and scientific capacity, humanity is entering again into a new astronomical and astrological cycle or age called the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius is said to be the one of universality, unification, communion, and sharing, 
in that it will characterize by scientific and spiritual knowledge and expression. For this new Aquarian age, the new lessons have already been presented to humanity. In it, there is the indication of the goal and purpose of the new school year, so to say. The goal for the next human stage, stage of development during the age of Aquarius is contained in a formula that has, give, has been given the name of Great Invocation. The Great Invocation, as mentioned, is a formula of integration and it fuses the three major kingdoms on the planet. The human kingdom or the human disciple, the spiritual kingdom, the hierarchy, and the divine kingdom, Shambhala. In other words, it integrates the light of God, the love of God, and the will of God by means of humanity. The achievement or this achievement will materialize the divine plan on earth. It will be the result of illumination, redemption, and sacralization of the planet. Our little planet is the lighted house that needs to be built, to be dwelt by its planetary ruler, the Lord of the world. Humanity is now ready for manifesting the purpose of the creator as it is the center that builds with light inspired by love. It is a bridging center that can manifest light, love and power on earth. There is a fundamental difference in between the prayers of the great invocation from the past ages and this new one given for the Aquarian age. This difference asserts its universality and inclusiveness. The great invocation of Aries was used by the Jews. The Lord's prayer of the age of Pisces was used and is still used by the Christians. This new invocation called the great invocation was given to humanity and not to any specific group or religion. The invocation of the Aquarian age is a synthesis of all previous ones. It blends together all invocations from the past ages and links through sound, the fundamental triangle of manifestation, light, love, and power. In the new age, all that was invoked in the past is coming into manifestation through the ages of the human kingdom guided by the elders. Now, the three aspects of manifestation, light, love, and power needed to be affected and made flesh here on earth, on the physical plane. The great invocation links all triangles, which is based of all religions and civilization, such as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Christianity, Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma in Hinduism, and Osiris, Horus, and Isis from Egypt, just to name a few. In fact, it also links the known triangle in all of us of the mental nature, emotional, and physical nature, which characterize the human kingdom. 
another most relevant point of the great invocation is that for the first time in the human history since its beginning is that humanity has also a part to play at the new age. The great invocation of the age of Aquarius at the great invocation, humanity is urged to assume its position and function to be a co-creator inside the planetary body, acting as an agent for manifesting the divine plan on earth. The great invocation invokes the, the mind of God for illumination of the minds of men, invokes the love of God for love to rule the earth and invokes the will of God for his purpose to guide the little wills of men. Then the great invocation invokes humanity for working out the plan. To help with the plan, humanity needs to seal the door where evil dwells. And it, this door is the door of division. The invocation of light, love and power and the closing of the door of division will make humanity to work out the plan and to externalize the kingdom of God on earth, the fifth kingdom. The love of God is embodied by a high being known, known under several names, such as Christ, Maitreya, Imamadi, the Messiah, all refers to the same great being. He is the heart of love at the center of the hierarchy. The restoration of the divine plan is the task of humanity for the new age. The energies contacted, evoked, and distributed by the new great invocation will help humanity to fulfill its task during the age of Aquarius. And thus, humanity, through humanity, the light, the love, and the power will restore the divine plan on earth. Thank you. So now we work together in our meditation. Coming together as a group, standing within the heart center of the new group of world servers. as a group soul, a point of love and light with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. Now we project a line of lighted energy towards the highest center, center of Shambhala, spiritual will. We sound together the affirmation of will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. Mm -hmm. 
I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. and lift the consciousness higher still to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle.
precipitation. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Sounding the mantra of unification, projecting a rainbow bridge towards the spiritual hierarchy. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Distribution. Sounding together the great invocation, silently or aloud. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network 
acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, and as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. Within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power Restore the plan on earth. Thank you. Hello, Rose, would you like to share your screen now? Welcome. Yes, hello, hi. Hey, Rose. Hi, can you hear me very well? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, I'm going to share, um, I've had a long interest in um, the history around Alice Bailey and the work at the time when she was and she was working um, at Lucis Trust. And um, I'm gonna share an interview with, about uh, Rose Comito, who was a close friend and associate who also worked at Lucis Trust as a volunteer and uh, was a member of the Arcane School. And she gives a, a rather interesting um, first take, firsthand experience of the very first time Alice Bailey recited the Great Invocation in the June Christ Festival of 1945. 
So I put together some pictures along with her interview. And after that, she goes into a little more of what it was like there and um, some things about Alice Bailey. So it's about 15 minutes long and I'll start it right now. And we should remind people to turn up their volume for this. Yes, the video um, so audio recording. So I had an error message from Zoom. Am I back connected? We can hear you now, Rose. It cut out for a moment, I think. Y yes, I had an error message. Okay, let me go back to, is my screen sharing? No, you'll have to share the screen again. It was sharing a PowerPoint briefly. Okay. Okay, can we, can you see that? Yes, there's a, there, yep. We can see it. Move this. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that minimizes itself. So Rose Comito, before she moved to D-Land, Florida, lived in New York City from 1943 to 49. She was a member of the Arcane School and regularly volunteered her time at Lucis Trust and she knew Alice Bailey intimately. So when she was 75 years old on May 2nd of 1980, she gave this interview with Douglas Baker recounting her experiences. She also was a healer and esoteric healer and Alice had, um, had her do some healing at different times. introducing you to Rose Kamita, who I met in Florida in November, and at her home, I was, of course, uh, in discussion with her, and some of the things that she mentioned about Alice Bailey filled in the absent pieces of the jigsaw, which makes up the puzzle that made up her life, for me anyway. I was very interested to hear, of course, how the great invitation came to be written. All I know is that it was an enormous effort on Bailey's part to bring the lines through. Each line was so powerful that it took her, I believe, many hours just to bring phrases through, let alone a whole line. And the impact of the great invocation is said inwardly. That's a point I want to make here tonight. And I've had the opportunity to see the Deva forces at play when the great invocation is enunciated in the inner world whilst one is out of the physical body. Now, um, if I remember rightly, uh, you were um, living in the atmosphere at the time in which the great invocation came out. 
I wondered whether you would tell us all what sort of impact that it had upon you. I would be very happy to share with every one of you. Am I speaking loud enough? Yes. I would be very happy and full of joy to tell you exactly what Dr. Baker asked me. Because the most important memory I have of Alice Bailey is the night of, in June of the Christ when we were seated in a room larger than this at the Pennsylvania Hotel. And she made a rather strange request. She was standing on the podium and she said, I am going to intone and sound a prayer. And I don't want you to hear the words. Just listen to the sound of my voice. And I wondered, how does one do that? To me, attention, awareness were the key to life. And inwardly, I prayed, oh, Father, teach me how. And immediately, I bowed my head. And a strange occurrence happened. My head felt as though it were an empty, big sponge. It was so light that my head seemed to wobble right to left and forward and backward. Then I began to feel as though a very, very, very gentle summer rain were falling down. And as that rain fell on my head, which was then a sponge, it filled the sponge so full that again my head began to wobble. I couldn't hold it straight. It was so filled with the water that it had absorbed. And then I noticed that the sound that I was trying to listen to stopped. Everybody had put their heads up and were looking towards the podium. At that exact moment, Regina Keller, who was Alice Bailey's best friend, you might say she was St. John to Alice Bailey. She was always close to Alice. What Alice needed, what Alice wanted, Regina was quick to do. Regina came running to my table, and she whispered in my right ear, Rose, what happened? Tell me, quick, don't think. I, I hesitated to tell her what happened, but I did. She kissed me on the right cheek, and she said, wonderful. She ran back to Alice, told Alice, and Alice went like that. Now, at that time, I little knew what had occurred. I didn't even know that I was considered sensitive. I thought everybody had these experiences. I was new in the school. I was only studying for about one year and a half. And to me, everyone else was studying 25, 30 years. Regina had been in the school for 35 years at that time. I was a little kid. I was about 37 years old then. Thank God. <laughs> 
Regina often would come and say to me, how does all this sound to you? Doesn't it sound too much? And I'd say, no, I want more and more. I can't get enough. And so we became great friends. But that is what happened the night of the we heard first invocation. It had never been uttered, sounded out loud in public. The members of the fourth degree in the school had received copies of it, but they were not allowed to say it. I only know that by people who were in fourth grade and told me I was not allowed to say it. Now, Regina Kelly was the uh, closest one to Alice Bailey. Yes. Uh, you used an expression a little earlier about how close that was. What was that expression that you used? You said she was... I think I said she was like John the Baptist, John, the beloved Well, there was something else that you used even earlier. But uh, why I was interested in Regina Keller was that she apparently, according to you, transcribed the notes that Alice Bailey wrote down as dictation from the Tibetan master. I saw the bundle of papers which Foster would, that was Alice Bailey's uh, husband, they were a would color, bring they? down a bright yellow, something like that yellow there. Something like the yellow of our, um, this yellow. And they were just plain yellow paper. And Alice wrote in a very big hand. And uh, she used uh, her own abbreviations. She had made up her own, uh, what she called her stenography rules, she said. And Regina knew how to decipher it. And Foster would put it in a certain place on the 31st floor of 1147. And when Regina came from work, instead of going home, she would go to that place, take the papers, sometimes there were six, sometimes there were ten, sometimes there was more than that. And she would sit at her typewriter and begin to transcribe whatever Alice had been given that, that night. She didn't even stop to eat first, because I, rem I remarked once to her, why don't you eat first? She would cut an apple or an orange or take a bite of a sandwich and type and then just do that. She was, that's the way Regina was. And uh, you were with Alice Bailey for many years before she died. Yes. How many of those years was she ill? She was ill all the time, but she was very ill the last four years. To hospital regularly for yes. transfusion. Yes, especially during the last four years. I also... She sometimes got two or three transfusions a week. And yet she was able to maintain her flow of work yes. in a condition in which she needed three transfusions a week. She was asked twice if she wanted him to help her, either to pass on or to be relieved of the illness. And she said, no, I promised you 30 years' work. And I understand, I've heard, that even you were responsible for giving one transfusion a month. 
Yes, yes, I did. I went to Roosevelt Hospital where she got her transfusions and gave a transfusion for her. I can think of nothing more beautiful than the fact that one of her dearest loved disciples was able to actually give blood to her. Very wonderful. Now, I was going to ask you, just to finish this evening, to tell us a little about the experience that you had with regard to Alice's request for help, quest for help in her last months. A letter telling the school members about her condition. I don't know, this is my own imagination, but I think she was afraid she wasn't going to be able to hold out until the last book was written. That's what it seemed like to me. And I think she was also calling for help. And uh, everybody in the membership who thought that they understood about healing, I imagine, tried to help her. Within five days, less than a week, we all received another letter. This letter was very, very urgent. And in that letter, she said, stop, please, any healing treatments. Because there was like a crossfire. Everybody, from the psychics to the Christian scientists, and there were many Christian scientists in the school, though they didn't know, the others knew about it, to everybody that knew anything about healing and everybody who prayed and everybody who loved Alice was trying to help her so strongly that it was hurting rather than helping. And two days later, I was at home, it was late at night, and Regina called me. And she told me, are you alone? I said, yes. She said, please help Alice. Send her a treatment, a healing treatment, immediately. And I said, not me. Of course not. Didn't you read that letter? And she said, I know, but when Alice says do, you do. And I never heard Regina speak that way. And I said, okay, okay, I will. She was very, very funny at times. She made those that were listening to her laugh. She was such a happy person all the time that when you hear about her illness, you mustn't think that it affected her um, outlook on life. And uh, those who weren't working in headquarters at that time really didn't know. And uh, she worked so hard all the time. I don't think she ever took a rest. Because if she didn't have the Tibetan to work for, there was the school and there was the disciples and then there was home. Sometimes the maid that they had decided to leave. And who was going to do the, cook the cooking? Alice, of course. And uh, she did her own mending, and she had a very, very beautiful grandson named Gordon, whom she loved very, very much. And uh, that, I know, was a source of great joy for her. Her daughter, Mildred, 
and her son Jordan lived with them. And um, she was a very, very happy person, really. I remember coming in sometimes to a meeting, and um, I had to walk, let's say, from here to there, and off to the right, she was sitting on one of the desks, and around her were some of the members of the school or workers at headquarters, and I don't know what they were talking about, but they were laughing just like you and I laugh. They just couldn't stop. That's how they laughed. And she was the one that was making them laugh. She was the one that was telling whatever it was that was very, very funny. And um, she was very, very down to earth. One day she sent for me and she said, um, come here quick, I want to show you something. I went up into her little office and there she had on her desk the beautiful portraits, great big ones like that, of her two daughters, who I knew of, but I didn't know. And she said, I want you to know what beautiful daughters I have. And they were beautiful girls. That's how human she was. She wanted another mother like me to know how proud she was. She knew how proud I was of my two children. We often talked about our children. She talked, for instance, to me about, in this instance, she was sad. She said, you know what I mean, because you have it devoted yourself to healing. And that comes first. And your children and your husband think that you don't love them as much as you should, as much as you could, if this other love had not taken first place. And she confided in me the pain that she felt when her children made her know that that was how they felt. So she gave me their addresses, and she told them, she told me to write to them, to get to know them, and to tell them how much she loved them. One thing Rose Camito also did is she made some diagrams and charts. Most of these we're familiar with in um, the um, Tibetan's books, but I'll just briefly run through a few of them. So these charts are available on alicebaileyarchives.com. And um, other, there's some photos there as well. And more information and more material will be put on that site as it becomes um, processed. So that is all. Thank you. We can ask some questions if anybody has any questions. Um, Rose, I wanted to ask you about the experience that you've had in studying the life of Alice Bailey for quite some time. What, have it, what has it taught you about the life of discipleship, but also the life 
of discipleship during that particular time when Alice and the group were working? I really feel privileged to have been, have access to some of these, this historical information because it really, for me, has helped me get into that stream of energy in which these people were living and working. And it really was a full on, full press effort. Just the amount of effort was extraordinary. And the amount of, to distribute the work literally worldwide, the great evocation worldwide. And just so much work to be done and the sacrifices that they each had to make. And a lot of people, they barely got paid or volunteered or, and literally it was a life commitment when they would work, you know, volunteering long hours um, to do what they could to further this work. It was really, they were so inspired. They were so moved and so passionate on, of, to, to do this. So, that was really a privilege to get to sense and to understand. Yeah. You had mentioned that they, the, the energy of the time that was controlling at that time really um, motivated them during the war. Yes. And it's, we do have to keep this in context that at that time, the, it, we were going through such um, historical change and upheaval we just came out of the 30s and, you know, the 20s, the Great Depression and the 30s. And then we had this world war and there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of urgency, a great sense of urgency and to do whatever you could to help the situation, to help the planet, to help, you know, the plan. It was really, really inspiring. So um, thank you. Yeah. So we have a, a question here from Curtis. Uh, okay. Hello, Curtis. Yes. Um, apparently, if you followed the chat, several of us are having difficulty in hearing very much of that. Is there any way that we can have access to that interview uh, online? Is there a, a link that you can put in the chat that we can access it? Because the the level of the audio was so low that even at highest volume could not make out more than maybe 40% of it. Yes, that was a recording that was from the 19, or 1980s. So there was a lot of, um, it's not the highest quality recording um, it needs to be rendered, but there is that um, interview can be found on douglasbaker.com. And then you do a search for Rose Comito, C-O-M-I-T-O, and that the full 55-minute interview will come up. Okay, so Douglas, can you, can Baker. you put the, Baker. I'll put it in chat. Put it in the chat, that's good. Yeah, if anyone wants to ask a question, you can raise your hand by going to reactions, or if you'd like to just post something in the chat box. Rose, can you see the chat? Yep. No, Rose. Yes, <laughs> yes, I posted the link. Okay, 
So if you wanted to, to read any of the comments there. The, um, where can the drawings at color, the drawings can be accessed from this website here, alicebaileyarchives.com. So the, the charts can be accessed at alicebaileyarchives.com and the interview douglasbaker.com. Okay, there's a, a, a passage from David Trice. Do you see that on the graded publication? No, can you read it? Probably have to scroll up. Can you scroll up? Okay, yes. Yes, I found it. Let me read this here. It's a quote from the books. Oh, it's a quote, okay. So, the, uh, so David says, the great invocation was rendered relatively powerless from the angle of dynamic usefulness because the majority of those who used it turned it into a peace prayer. It was instead a great spiritually militant, spiritually militant invocative demand. This must not happen with this stanza of invocation. It is a demand. It is also an authoritative affirmation of existent fact. It sets in motion agency and forces hitherto quiescent, and these can change the face of the world battlefield. It invokes the Prince of Peace, but he carries a sword and the effects of his activity may prove surprising to those who see only the needs of the form aspect of humanity. That, that sounds almost like it's uh, in reference to one of the earlier versions, earlier stanzas of the Great Invocation. That sounds like the, because um, this was the third, if I believe correct, the third, the third invocation. And this sounds like in reference to the second. There's a comment then by Hazel Smith just below the one that you read. So Hazel Smith. Ah, I must confess that I have always found the great invocation to be powerfully evocative. I cannot imagine it as a peace prayer. To me, it is positively demanding. And, and we know also there is um, a place in the books where Alice describes, I think it's in one of the Dinah books, how the great invocation should be recited and with the, the demand and the, the visualization and the, the pausing, which I think is, um, it's very powerful. It's, it's really, it's more, not so much about the words, it's about that invocative energy field that it puts, it's the link, links you to those, that reservoir force. And there's also a comment um, here by um, by Clint. You mentioned Alice's friend transcribing Alice's version of shorthand. What types of things was she transcribing? It was the dictation from the Tibetan master Dwell Cool. She took down his dictation in a shorthand that she created of her own creation. And only Regina Keller knew how to 
translate that into text. So after some of her trans, um, transmissions, she would leave her piles of shorthand paper on Alice's, on um, Regina's desk. And at the end of the day, she would come in and type it out. Also, um, Rose in another place says that Alice had to be on a special diet uh, in preparation for receiving this invocation. And also it seems that it took her, as the transmission was coming, it took her long periods of time for each line and each phrase. So the diet, um, she didn't say how long she had to prepare with the diet, but she did mention that she had to, was on a preparatory diet prior to receiving that, that impact. Also, she says um, in, another, in another interview, she says that before she recited that invocation there at the Pennsylvania Hotel, she had escorted everyone out of the room that were staff members or and that only the um, conference participants, so that only the conference participants were then in the room, then she did her recitation. She did not specify, as far as I know, I haven't seen exactly what the diet was, but I would assume it would have been vegetarian and probably of a very cleansing, uh, maybe a lot of fruit type of diet to um, try to raise her etheric and physical vibration. Well, thank you so much, Rose. And I really appreciate, and everyone appreciates your presentation here to us oh, today. We have an interesting, uh, Violet says, I was in attendance at the convention of Douglas Baker and Rose Camito was as a guest. I was first introduced to talk on the full moon meditation at a seminar talk by Rose Camito. Well, Violet, that is amazing uh, witness to history. I would love to, um, speak with you further on what your experience um, was of um, getting to know a little bit about Rose. All right, I'll send you the um, chat. Thank you. All right, so could you just turn off your screen for now and um, stop the video? Cause we're just gonna do a, a closing moment. So everyone just let's thank Rose and link with the group in silence. And we'll sound the OM while visualizing the planet surrounded by a network of triangles. Thank you, everyone.